0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian apologetics and scholarship. I am Nick Peters. I am your host for the next couple of hours as we discuss a topic highly relevant to Christian apologetics and scholarship. A few months ago, Justin Browley, on his excellent show, Unbelievable, one I think you should listen to as well, had a debate between a Mormon and a Christian, a Christian who came out of Mormonism and that is Lynn Wilder in fact she even got her education at BYU she was a professor there for some time and I heard her on the show and thought wow this is just terrible this lady was just destroying the competition there entirely it wasn't even a contest at all she knew the Book of Mormon, she knew the Mormon writings and she knew her scripture where I was thoroughly impressed so I contacted her got a copy of her book read it and it is the best book I have read on Mormonism in fact since it gives you an inside out from the culture and at the end of the book I feel like I knew her own family very well and for someone like me who's an Aspie and has a hard time with empathy that is quite an accomplishment now we wanted to have her on earlier this year but her father had passed away, and so she needed some time off from that, and we understood, so we've arranged for her to come back. So, uh, Dr. Wilder, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Nick. It's great to be here. And uh, all of those things aren't true, by the way.
0: They are or they aren't.
1: <laughs> they aren't. I'm 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 giving you a hard
0: time. Oh, okay. And since uh I, I see you as a good friend, you're fine with me calling you Lynn for a show, aren't you?
1: Absolutely. Please do.
0: Okay. Well Lynn, normally I tell people or I'd ask my host, I should say, I'd ask him, i I'd ask my guest, blah and ask them, How did you get to be doing what you are today? But that's a story in itself. In fact that's part of a story of unveiling grace. Now, unveiling Grace begins in an interesting way with you getting a phone call from your son, right?
1: Yes. Um, I'm a tenured professor at Brigham Young at the time. Brigham Young University is a Mormon church owned and operated, and in order to work there... I needed to be a good member of the church and have hold a temple recommend and be attending church regularly. My husband was a high priest and had had a number of leadership positions in the church over the years. And our first son served a mission in Russia. Our second son served a Mormon mission in Denmark. And our third son went to Florida. And just before it was time for our third son to come home from his Mormon mission, we get a phone call that he's in a bit of trouble.
0: Mm. And then the book pretty much leaves you hanging for a long time, wondering, what's going on? What's going on?
1: (laughs) It's true. Well, what went on is that third son tried to convert a couple of Christian pastors, because in Mormon history, um, they would tell us that if you converted a pastor, their entire congregation could come to Mormonism. That had happened once with a Campbellite pastor in the 1800s. And so Michael was very zealous for the Mormon gospel and thought for sure he could convert pastors to Mormonism. But interestingly enough, They began to show him in the New Testament where Mormonism might not be what Jesus taught.
0: And we'll get more into that one later on. Now, what I'm wanting the audience to have is it's kind of like watching a TV show where you see a scene of something that happens later on right at the start. And then the next few minutes of the episode is getting you to that point. So let's get to that point here. Now... Before you had any kids whatsoever, you didn't grow up in the Mormon church, did you?
1: No, I actually grew up in the Methodist church and in the Presbyterian church Mm -hmm. at different times. And my husband grew up Baptist. Mm -hmm. But I would call us nominal Christians. Mm -hmm. My family went to church every week, but I only recall one time in all my growing up years that someone actually opened the Bible and read it. Hmm. so i was I was a nominal social Christian. I went to church but knew nothing about doctrine and nothing about the Word and nothing about salvation really
0: you know for my listeners here who might sometimes wonder, why does all this apologetic stuff really matter? Why does it matter that we have all this knowledge about the Bible or in church history or proper doctrine or theology or anything like that. I think based on your story, you say that makes a quite a difference, doesn't it?
1: Well, you might be interested in the statistic um, from the Pew Institute that 85% of the people that join the Mormon Church come right out of Biblical Christianity.
2: Mm-hmm. They're people
1: just like my husband and myself who don't know the word and do not recognize a false Christ when they see it.
3: Mm -hmm. Now,
1: I love all of these false Christ, false gospel, false apostle scriptures, and I think it's really important that Christians teach their children those scriptures, Mm -hmm. because many Christian youth are going off to college and marching into Mormonism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really important to know the word. The word about this all over the place but you have to read it
0: now I've even heard it's been said before that the Mormon church claims to baptize a Baptist church every week
1: <laughs> well um, yes yeah. Baptists are the number one denomination mm-hmm. that do join Mormonism
0: okay so you're nominal Christians you're enjoying your married life together what happens that gets you into Mormonism
1: Well, we were looking for a church. We'd been married about three years and decided we probably needed to find a church. Mm -hmm. And so I started reading the Old Testament, and I read in some of the books of the prophets that, wow, Israel coming back together in 1948 was a really big deal. Like, it was actually prophesied, right, in Jeremiah and Isaiah and some places. And so I'm thinking whoa, these are last days, but where Mike and I are going to church, nobody's talked about any of that. So two Mormon missionaries knock on our door, mm-hmm. and they have badges on, and these badges say, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. And so I was curious to know about latter Days, and they said they knew everything about it.
0: Now did you know anything about Mormonism before this happened?
1: No, absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. I lived in Indiana where there were Mennonite and Amish communities and when someone said Mormon I'm thinking long black dress. I, I really oh, polygamy, I did I did connect them to polygamy. That was that was it. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew.
0: And I think you even asked them about polygamy at one point, didn't you?
1: yeah either my husband or myself did and they just said oh that was way back then all these christians killed killed mormon men and then there weren't enough mormon men for the mormon women and so the mormon men had to marry more than one woman you know now i know that that's just not true but i believed that for a long time
0: and we'll get into that a bit later on i'm sure but so these Mormons start visiting you what happens then?
1: Well they start teaching us this gospel of Mormonism. It's, it's a really kind of sleight of hand interesting thing that goes on. You start with the Bible which You know, most nominal Christians are good with that, Mm -hmm. and you're reading a few verses out of the Bible, and then all of a sudden they're pulling out the Book of Mormon and reading verses from there, and then Mm -hmm. they're giving us homework and having us read the Book of Mormon. And I remember saying to them, but I don't know about this Book of Mormon thing. Can you just stick to the Bible? Oh, no. We have more of the truth. You know, the Bible is just a little bit of the truth. We add, we have added on to that. God has added on to that, and we need to know more of the truth. So read this from the Book of Mormon. Mm. So, um, actually, there are four Mormon scriptures, and they do not give you two of them up front. They would not want to give you two of them. Mm. Doctrines are so far from Christianity. But the Book of Mormon sounds a lot like the Bible. In fact, there are entire uh, passages from the Bible plagiarized right into the Book of Mormon. So when you read it, Mm. it sounds very Bible-like, you know? Mm. sounds very biblical, and so it's easy to digest.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Although as one who has read the Book of Mormon, uh, I do think that it gives me the impression of something that's trying to look like Scripture, but doesn't fit for Bill.
1: Yes, and in a strange kind of King James language, and the majority of the Book of Mormons was supposed to have been written about six hundred BC mm. when there was no King James language, but it is in King James language, so you know some of those reasoning things just never occurred to me. Mm. I would say that I was blind.
0: Mm. Mark Twain, in fact, once said, in, in a humorous way, that the Book of Mormon, he called it chloroform in print, and said, if Joseph Smith took up a phrase and it came to pass, he would just have a pamphlet.
1: <laughs> I, I I am aware of that quote, yes. Yeah. Yes, but I took it all in. I mean, and yeah. we're intelligent people. There, there are a lot of well-educated, wonderful people in Mormonism, mm. and... Um, they follow
0: a Mormon prophet blindly. Yeah, we uh, had some Mormons come to our apartment once when I was living with a roommate in Charlotte and we were both heavily into Christian apologetics. And, and we did this interesting thing and I'm sure you would probably think this is a very good idea. We actually had pizza and drinks every time we came, they came over because we wanted them to feel like they were right at home, they could be safe yeah. with us. In fact, once they called and said, "Hey, um... our car is in is in repairs right now, and we can't come over for a day. We're just going to have to cancel." I said, "You want me to come get you?" Said, "Sure." "Where are you?" "Okay, I'll come in." And I went and got them. Where I saw it when I was driving them to and from, I had a captive audience. They could not escape me. Uh, Anyway, this one time they came over, my roommate had just got done utterly dismantling Joseph Smith's translation of Genesis 1-1 and they uh-huh. kept pointing to the prophet and we'd serve him some Gatorade and one of them said, well, let me put it this way. If a prophet told me this blue Gatorade was red, I'd believe it.
1: Yeah, isn't that interesting? <laughs> In Mormonism, your testimony is based on feelings, Mm -hmm. you know, in the Book of Mormon, there's a place where you're asked, you're challenged to go to your knees and pray about whether the Book of Mormon is true, and then they tell you that you're supposed to get this warm feeling, well, I did not know that the Bible says that feelings can be deceptive, and that Mm -hmm. the heart is deceptive above all things, Um, and I have to tell you though, I never prayed about whether the Book of Mormon was true. Mm. Um, I didn't really want it to be true. Mm. <laughs> I didn't think I wanted to go into this strange place, but my husband did pray about it, and after he prayed about it, he had this dream, and in this dream, he was defending Mormonism <laughs> and Mormons from people who were attacking them. Mm-hmm. Which I have to laugh so hard now. You know, the God that we know now has such a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Actually, I feel that's kind of what we do now with our apologetics is try to defend the Mormons from false gospel, right?
0: Mm You know, I, I think it's very interesting that you have this contrast many times going on in your book where you do talk about dreams that have happened and such, but you give a caution at the same time as saying, these were interesting, but we can't take them as scripture.
1: That is true, and yet in Mormonism, mm-hmm. um, it is a very touchy-feely kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I was totally unaware that the Bible said you need to test the spirits. I was totally unaware that the Bereans tested these things against the Word every day. <laughs> you know, now I know to do those things. Um, my goodness! Formers are so intelligent and I feel like at BYU we taught our students to be brilliant mm. and to, to use your <clears throat> critical thinking in every area except for faith. And then you shut it off and you just follow blindly because if you doubt, they say that's not faith.
3: Mm.
1: Oh, and then you'll lose your faith. Well, wait a minute. There ought to be a faith that actually hangs together. If this God's big enough, don't you think he can keep his word together for all time? Mm-hmm. I think so.
0: Now, when these Mormons were giving you their gospel, did you have any Christian authorities you could go to and say, hey, if these people are telling me something, what do you say about it?
1: Well, mm-hmm. I might have. my You know, my parents were Christian, and I had a sister who was strongly Christian. But I never thought to go to them. Um, Mike said one time someone put anti-Mormon literature in his mailbox at work. And of course, then he tells the missionaries and the Mormon missionaries say, oh yes, expect that. That's how you know that the church is true, because people come against us.
0: Well, I just recently got a book on Amazon that's arguing against Christianity, so I guess I could tell Mormons that Christianity must be true because something's coming against us, and then, you know, the problematic place that that leads to, that since we've got two contradictory beliefs, they can't both be true.
1: Exactly, and I'm sure that there are Muslims that would tell you that they know that they know because of feelings, or Buddhists that could tell you that, or all kinds of other faiths, so how... How does that work? You know, which feeling trumps the other? You
0: know, I'm also thinking at this point that since uh, Mormons often point to this kind of persecution as a way of showing their belief is true, it really doesn't do good for Christians to slam the doors on Mormon faces when they come by. That just further reinforces what they believe, doesn't it?
1: Thank you for saying that, Nick. Yeah, Micah said, um, you know, sometimes missionaries are spat upon, people slam doors in their faces Mm. and say, uh, you're not Christian, get off my doorstep. That kind of behavior does not actually want anyone to become Christian, Mm. (laughs) and For Mormons, it is all about behaviors. They believe that being Christian is acting Christian. Mm -hmm. So if you're acting unkind, then you can't possibly be Christian to them. So feeding the gospel to a Mormon, giving the gospel to a Mormon, needs to go out in a kind and loving way. And like you said, you were having those missionaries over you don't do it to trap them. Mm-hmm. You do it because you love them and you mm-hmm. want to offer them a God of grace so they can rest from all those soft works that are useless that don't take them anywhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, what I've told people, I've got a couple connection group at my church where we have couples get together regularly and discuss things relevant to us and marriage and even dating, because not all couples that come are married yet, some of them could be engaged and just be dating. But mm-hmm. we start talking about Mormonism for some reason one time. and I If Mormons come to your door and you don't know what to say, what I recommend saying at this point is just, you know, I'm really busy, I can't talk right now, can we arrange for a future date to come back? And they'd more than likely be happy to do that. And then I say, once they do that, like, you all just go Call me, I'll come over, and I'll help you out. And I really think for most of you, if you don't know what to say to a Mormon, find someone who does, arrange for a later date, and have that person come by and help you.
1: Well, Nick, you don't really have to know a lot about Mormonism in order to share the gospel with Mm -hmm. a Mormon. You have to know about your own faith. Right. You just have to simply... Mm You know, of course it says in Revelation 12 that we're saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Mm-hmm. If you do not learn to articulate your testimony, how are other people going to come to know your Jesus? And that really is the Great Commission. You know, we are to do that. I found a good quote um, for the whole feelings thing. Mm-hmm. If you were lost in the woods, would you trust your feelings or would you rather use a compass?
0: hmm And I I think when we talk about a biblical faith, we usually see pointing to evidence. When Matt, Jesus didn't say, hey, look at how you feel about me, about my message. Look at the miracles, look at the resurrection, look at what's going on around you. That's the proof you need.
1: Yes, and that that brings up a great point. The Book of Mormon is supposed to be true according Mm -hmm. to Mormonism. And it's the story of these uh, two peoples that came from Jerusalem Mm -hmm. that are supposedly now Native Americans. But if you test the DNA of Native Americans, it does not go back to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. It goes back to Asia. And so there just is no evidence that the Book of Mormon is true. There are no spears from the Great Battles. There are no buildings. Um, there just is no historical evidence, no archaeological evidence, mm-hmm. and even the Mormons argue about where the Book of Mormon might have happened. Maybe Baja Peninsula, maybe it's in the Midwest, so I don't know, it might be in Central America, but there is absolutely no evidence, and yet for the Bible you have at least 5,000 manuscripts, you have twenty five thousand archaeological digs, we know where Jericho is, we know where Jerusalem is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there just is no comparison if you're if you're looking at physical evidence between the Book of Mormon and the Bible.
0: For what Lynn's been talking about, if people are interested in exploring that further, I do recommend some past shows. Off the top of my head I'm thinking shows I've had with Daniel Wallace on textual transmission. And then for the evidence of Christianity, I'm the shows of Craig Evans and Paul Meyer would be good ones. Okay, getting back to your story, you all do join the Mormon Church, so what happens after that?
1: Well, we join, and my dad came, but my mother wouldn't come and my sister wouldn't come, and honestly, I never knew why. Now I suggest to Christian family, if they have someone going into Mormonism, that they at least try to step into a conversation with mm-hmm. them. I always had a sense from my Christian family in the 30 years I was in Mormonism that I, they didn't think I was in a good place, but no one ever stepped into a conversation with me. And I really think it's important that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. that we know how to explain our testimonies, and that we're willing to talk about those things with other people. Or are we really born again? I mean, when I gave my life to Christ, everything changed. My value system changed. Um, What I read, who I liked, uh, what I wore, I mean, Everything changed, and if there is no change from this washing with water from the Word, like the Word itself says, um, if there is no kind of desire for other people to have what you have, that's something that we should examine, don't you think, Nick?
0: hmm And I, I think when you're talking about people are caught in Mormonism or about to go into it, I understand it's best to avoid using the word caught.
1: Yes, that's very offensive. And it says, there's a scripture in the book of Mormon that says, um, contention is of the devil. Mm -hmm. So whenever you present something that's opposite what they believe, and you do it in a way that they see as contentious, just this wall goes up. Mm -hmm.
3: It's
1: just, you just shut down, and it's as if they're shoving their hands in your face and saying, la, 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 because they believe that comes from the devil. And so that kind of hard apologetic approach probably is not going to work with the Mormons Mm -hmm. because this false Christ has already set up these alarms kind of to... um, Guard against what you're trying to tell them, and so there needs to be love. There needs to be relationships, and then I suggest just talking about something God did in your life this week, something you read in the Word, you know, something that impacted you, so that it's part of who you are, and it's part of the stuff that comes out of your mm-hmm. mouth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when you joined the Mormon church. You're not living in Utah at the time, and we know you eventually become a BYU professor, so that's a long distance. What's the next step then that gets you on the path to Utah?
1: Well, Mike and I were living in Indiana at the time, Mm -hmm. and um, I would say within six months, we both had leadership callings in the church. Mormonism believes if you're righteous, you'll be blessed both temporally and spiritually. Mm -hmm. So I believe they tried to give us blessings from the beginning so that we would feel accepted and feel like we were on the right path. So I became a young women's president. Mm -hmm. Your bishop, who's like your pastor, actually chooses your calling for you. You don't get to choose it. You don't get to choose which church you go to. They have geographical areas. Everything's very organized and very orchestrated top down. But you believe that God talks to the prophet at the top. God talks to the 12 apostles at the top. And then God talks to your state president and your bishop. Um, so it's very controlling in that way. Mm-hmm. So Mike and I had leadership callings, and we left it. You know, it made us feel puffed up. It made us mm-hmm. feel loved and accepted. Um, I, my area, um, uh, my doctorate in emotional and behavioral disorders, mm-hmm. and I worked with gangs for a time. And one of the, the number one reason that people join gangs is they feel like it's a, family and that has rules and regulations, and they want to know what those rules and regs are, so they'll know how to progress and how to please, right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what the Mormon Church does for people. Mm -hmm. It gives you a set of rules and regs and rituals and ordinances so that you can know how to be good, how to please God. And it's very human to feel like you have to do something, you have to work, you know. And mm-hmm. so we began to work and get lots of warm fuzzies for all that work. And I can tell you, Nick, eventually Mike and I had callings that took 20 hours a week um, in addition to, of course, raising our kids. And I had a part-time job and he had a full-time job.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
1: very all-consuming 24-7, so what happens is all of the friends that you have end up being within the church because you're working side by side with them and you spend so many hours with them. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: It's a clever system of, you know, kind of socializing folks into this large culture.
0: I remember hearing a story about a Christian apologist who was in Utah and got someone to leave Mormonism to see it wasn't true though and unfortunately this person apparently said I, I can't get away from here and the guy got him a plane ticket and so this ex-Mormon flies off somewhere else and ends up hanging himself and, oh. my, and the reason is, and I'm sure you can probably understand this very well, is that he just pretty much lost everything
1: Well, when you talk to who you're going to talk to next Mm -hmm. week, there are a number of those stories um, in that ministry. But look at Mike and myself. We ended up with 30 years of Mm -hmm. friends, all these networks in Mormonism. Mm -hmm. You help each other get jobs. You, um, you know, pat each other on the back. And, of course, Mm -hmm. rising to be a professor at Brigham Young University is a really, Big deal. I mean, mm. I got to see the prophet from time to time, and the General Relief Society president, and and we got to hang with the twelve apostles now and then. Uh, there's real status with it. Of course, I loved that. I was really full of pride because I thought that my works were going to help save me. Mm.
0: Yeah, the reason I also bring up that story is, and I use the same rule with Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way, is that when we're debating with Mormons, they can buy. My goal is not to break down Mormonism, although I have to do that to some extent, but it's to build up the New Testament.
1: Amen! You know, be that,
0: yeah, if you show them the Bible is reliable, and the Book of Mormon doesn't go with that, they have something to fall back on. I've... Met too many, especially those that came out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Who are now, apost- uh, who are now atheists, agnostics, things of that sort of occurs. When they leave the cult, they leave everything with it.
1: Well, the best statistics we have in Mormonism, and we really don't know for sure, is. Right now, there's a real exodus out of Mormonism because um, so much information about Mormonism that used to be underground is now available on the Internet. Things Mm -hmm. like Joseph Smith had 33 wives, 11 of them were married to other men at the same time that he took them. One of them was as young as 14. Mm -hmm. When a good member of the Mormon Church finds out these kinds of things, they are angry, and then they go to searching other things and realize, wow, there's a problem here, and if they leave without a Christ that's real mm-hmm. to run to, then they do go to agnosticism and atheism, and I I can see where that's a typical pattern for leaving um, a workspace like Mormonism. What you're doing is throwing out the baby with the bathwater.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You're
1: getting rid of the religion, but you're also getting rid of the Jesus that you thought was at the center of that religion. Well, let's which, get, Go ahead. Which brings us to the fact that Mormonism is a false Christ, and so what you have is not mm-hmm. the real Christ, not the Christ of the Bible. And so if Mormons just can know that the that there's a word of God that reconciles, if there there's a Christ whose blood covers all their sins, that there's a God who can answer prayer, that's what they need. You're absolutely right about that, Nick.
0: Now, let's get to you in Utah. First off, what was life like living in Utah? I mean, the regular day to day life, what was it like?
1: It was an unusual culture in Utah. I remember thinking, wow, these people came across the plains and no one else came in here for 150 years because they've developed a really bizarre little culture. Um, one of the first things that hit us was that polygamy was still alive and well.
2: Supposedly
1: the Mormon Church gave up polygamy in 1890 at least officially, they gave it up then uh, so that they could get statehood in the United States. They didn't actually give it up then. They were still practicing it underground. Mm -hmm. But estimates are there are still 30,000 to perhaps 100,000 people practicing polygamy in the United States today, and all of that stems from Joseph Smith, who practiced polygamy, who started the Mormon Church. Mm-hmm. Now, um, there perhaps are some Muslim polygamists in the U.S. today, but probably not a large number. Most of this comes right out of Mormonism. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Mormons today don't practice polygamy, but you might be surprised to find out that it's still in their scriptures.
0: Mhm. How about other aspects. I mean, most people are you know, like good, honest people. You just went out your day caring for your children, loving your families, going to your jobs. What was it like?
1: Um, y- y- you're right, except that because everyone within about a four block radius around my house went to the same church. And I was very careful never to say anything negative or to show any weaknesses or to let anyone know I had sinned because someone might run to your bishop, your pastor, and then he would call you in and then you would be in trouble. And of course, for me, depending on the sin, For me, that was huge because I would have lost my job at BYU if I lost my ecclesiastical clearance. A bishop had to always say that I was righteous and tell BYU I was righteous. At any point, if I became unrighteous or I was sinning or or had any questions about the church, then I could lose my temple recommend and I could lose my job. So I would say I lived a double life in some ways on the outside, everything was good. But I did have some questions about Mormonism and polygamy was one of them that began to stir up when we came to Utah. But there was one more that you know because you've read the book.
0: Mm-hmm. And see, right now, well, I can't place what that other one more was. I think it might have been the racism issue. Yep,
1: it, it was. Yep. My second year at BYU, this would have been the year 2000, I was assigned to teach a class in multiculturalism. Now, this is a very conservative environment, mm-hmm. and we were not allowed to use the term social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and... There are some scriptures that still exist in race, in Mormonism, that are quite racist. Now, I was not aware of these scriptures at the time, even though I'd even taught Mormon seminary. In this day and age, Mormonism skips over these scriptures. And, um, but let me read a few of these out of the Book of Mormon. Okay. Um, the Lamanites became a dark and a loathsome and a filthy people full of idleness and all manner of abominations. What happened was there were two groups of people in the Book of Mormon. They used to be one group of people. Half of them turned evil, and so God turned their skin dark. And then those who were still righteous were still white. So it says things like this. Um, in the Book of Mormon, like, whom ye hate because of their filthiness and the cursing which has come upon their skins. And there's actually a place in the Book of Mormon that says, the Lamanites, those are the dark skinned people, who united with the Nephites, the white skinned people, were numbered among the Nephites, and their curse was taken away from them, and their skin became white, like unto the Nephites, exceedingly fair.
0: Could you give and us some. Could you give us some references for Bible was in the Book of Mormon?
1: yeah, this is all out of the Book of mormon uh first nephi twelve twenty three was the first one I gave mm-hmm. um and alma three six is a good one and um third nephi two fourteen
0: through sixteen okay, so if anyone has a Book of Mormon, and if you don't have one, you can get one for free pretty easily. Just ask for church. I'm, they'll be more than happy to give you one. Although, now I was happy to get those other books out. I find I, I had to get those myself. But, you can get yours, and you can look it up, or you can just go online and look it up. It's all there.
1: And it's not just in the Book of Mormon, it's also in the Pearl of the Great Price. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole idea that there was a curse of Cain, that curse was that God turned skin black so that you could see who was cursed. Um, And does Mormonism teach that now? Well, they may not teach it openly, but it's still in their scriptures. And if you go right to their website, which is ldas.org, it will tell you their scriptures are pure truth and utterly reliable. Mm. Now, how does this impact me at BYU? I'm teaching multiculturalism, and I'm trying to teach that, you know, there's value in any skin color.
2: <laughs>
1: uh-huh. uh, we have cultural pluralism, et cetera. You know, and if you're going to be a teacher, I was training teachers, that you need to know a little bit about students' cultures, and you know, one is not less than the other. Well, my students at BYU were telling me, oh, but black is less than white, and I'm freaking And where are you getting this? Oh, it's in the scriptures, they would tell me, so I did eventually go searching, and I was shocked to find that in our own scriptures, that idea was taught, hmm. so um, that was a huge burden on my back and certainly something I would not have told my neighbor because they would have run to my bishop who would have called me in and asked me about it and mm-hmm. if I'd have said that I wasn't okay with this or that Mormon scripture um, of course I could have been in big trouble you
0: know let's uh, give a story along those lines in fact one of your sons Josh I believe was went on a mission and came back and I think he hadn't been a safe as you thought, right?
1: Josh went on a very difficult mission to Russia. Mm-hmm. He chopped wood for orphanages. He did amazing stuff, brought people to Mormonism for two years, came home from his mission just a skeleton of the kid that had gone out. It was a very difficult mission and it was hard for him to readjust. Um, In that readjustment, he went to school at the University of Utah, and he began kind of drinking on the weekends, and pretty soon he had a girlfriend, and then he was sleeping with his girlfriend. Now, of course, I'm a college professor now in a secular school. I don't know anybody who isn't doing that, basically. You know, it's pretty much the norm.
0: Yeah, unfortunately. But
1: But that puts then... Josh has a temple recommend, because he's been on a mission, you have to go to the temple before you go to your mission, and he wants to be in good standing with the Mormon church. And the only way to do that when you've done a serious sin like adultery, well, I guess it's fornication, because it wasn't married, um, is you have to go to your bishop and report it, your pastor, and then he has... To come up supposedly with the Lord with what your discipline is. Well, Josh went to our Bishop, reported his sins, was repentant, crying, wanted to be in good standing with the church. It actually had been over for about six months I think when he went in to repent.
0: And he, he didn't go alone, he alone had, either, right? He, he had a friend he had a friend who was in the same situation
1: he had a friend who'd be doing the exact same sins, right? His friend goes to his bishop. The bishop gives him a hand slap for three months. He can't take the sacrament when it passes by. Mm-hmm. Josh, though, uh, um, our bishop, pulled the man above him, the stake president. That stake president yanked Josh into his office, put him in front of a church court, That church court consists of 12 high counselors, the state president, and his two counselors. So you've got 15 men there, and Josh has to give his sins all over again as he's bawling, and then Josh has to leave the room, and then they make a judgment. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: They call him back in, just like a court, right? And they say, Josh Wilder, go home and take off your temple garments, you are no longer a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm. If you ever hope to be rebaptized, you must do everything that your stake president says to do.
3: Mm.
1: Well, that means the Mormon Church actually removes your salvation, because mm. to them, the way to be saved is to be baptized into the Mormon Church. So when you lose your membership, you lose your baptism you lose the Holy Ghost, and mm-hmm. it's a horrible place for a Mormon to be.
0: hmm And it, it seemed to you like There's a no,
1: huge... Josh was there for a year. Hello? Try, try again. That's breaking up, Nick.
0: Yeah, something happened here, but anyway, so what? Uh, to you, um, I think it seemed like a huge double standard. Then it occurs, his friend gets pretty much a slap on the wrist and Josh loses everything.
1: Right, but see, in the Mormon church, God talks through the priesthood. So, the priesthood can say one thing to one person and another thing to another person. But that really stirred in my head. Is that really fair? Does mm-hmm. God really like that? You know? Um... Does he show favoritism? Is one color better than another? Um, And the other thing that it kept stirring in my head was, don't we have a Jesus whose blood covers all sins? Mm -hmm. Doesn't it say that when you repent, you're forgiven? Mm -hmm. I just couldn't get over this idea that someone would go and repent sincerely and then be punished. Um, and the Holy Ghost began to open my eyes by showing me some of these kind of inconsistencies that didn't make a lot of sense, a lot of reasoning sense.
0: Now, at this point, we need to get closer and closer to the main turning event. And that was your son, Micah, who was incredibly zealous for Mormonism. Now, we'd heard at the star of the show you got a phone call, and he was in trouble. So now it's time to jump back to that what was going on
1: what Micah said to me in that phone call was mom it's over Mm. and for some reason I immediately knew his belief in Mormonism was over his mission was over all of his future in Mormonism was done at that moment. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit, but I just knew when he said that it was over. Mm -hmm. Soon after that, we got um, two calls from leaders in the Mormon church. They told us our son had the spirit of the devil in him, Mm -hmm. and that he was an antichrist, and that they were sending him home from his Mormon mission early. Now, I'm, I'm wanting to laugh because this child of my four was the most zealous for the Mormon gospel. He was so zealous that before he left on his mission, he asked to be set apart as a full-time worker in the Mormon in one of the Mormon temples and forty hours a week, rather than making money for his mission, by the way, Mormon missionaries pay their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked in a Mormon temple, so very surprised to hear that Micah was in trouble. Mm. And I'll let you tell Micah, uh, you know, ask Micah his story next week, but the long and short of it is that he read the Bible while Mm. he was on his Mormon mission a number of times and began to realize That Biblical doctrine and Mormon doctrine were not only different, they were contrary. Mm -hmm. And he made a choice, and he chose for the Biblical Jesus, and then um, he professed that he had done that.
0: Mm -hmm. And he had a girlfriend, Alicia, back in Utah, and he'd been secretly contacting her, because... On your mission, I understand you can't contact your parents that much, but contacting others would be more acceptable, wouldn't it?
1: You can call your parents on Mother's Day and on Christmas for a small call. Other than that, your Mormon leaders pretty much have control of your kids on their missions. Micah and Alicia had dated in high school. Sometimes missionaries, you know, ask girls to wait for them for two years and they'll get married when they come home.
2: Mm. That
1: hadn't been the case with Micah and Alicia, but um, sometime during his mission he started writing her because he was reading the Bible and he was sending her Bible verses saying, what do you think about this? And then she would read and she would send some back to him, what do you think about this? And by the time Micah got sent home from his mission, Alicia had also decided that Mormonism was a false gospel, Mm. but her parents were so strongly Mormon and had been for generations that she ended up moving out of state and then calling them on the phone with that news because um, there's quite a shunning that can go on in Mormonism, and it's very, very difficult. Like you mentioned, Mm. the the young man who went to suicide. And you are absolutely right. Unless you know that there's a God able to walk with you through this horrendous transition and through Mm. the shunning that goes on, you don't have anything to hold on to.
0: Something incredible about Micah's story is that when he was asked to give a summation of his mission before all the other Mormon missionaries, He ended up telling them, Jesus is all you need, over and over.
1: Yeah, he'd been reading in Hebrews that it said that Christ was the only one who held the Melchizedek priesthood. Well, in Mormonism, you have thousands of high priests. His own dad was one. Um, He read that Jesus was the only mediator between man and God. Well, wait a minute, then. Why is there a Mormon prophet that mediates, and a bishop and a stake president that mediates between myself and God. Um, And, of course, the funny thing about this is Micah goes to his knees, says, okay, I believe in the biblical Jesus. I give the rest of my life to you. It's up from his knees, and the phone rings, and it's his mission leader, who invites him to stand in front of 60 to 80 other missionaries and bear testimony of what he's learned over the last two years. And Micah's a leader on his Mormon mission, right? And so a lot of these missionaries know him and look up to him. And he had given his life to Christ and knew Mormonism wasn't true, and he actually was brave enough to stand in front of them and very gently say things like, I know that Jesus would die just for me. I know that he died on the cross for me. Well, that's an kind of anti-Mormon thing. Mormons believe the atonement happened in the garden, not on the cross. Mm-hmm. So even though he was saying things that were positive and from the word, they were hitting hard at Mormonism at the heart of Mormonism. Things like Jesus is the only mediator between man and God. And yet what he was professing with scripture he was called in and that's when all of this started
0: I have to say when I was reading Brooks, the story of his being called in and how he answered the person who was challenging him that was an incredible conversation to read about
1: it really is amazing isn't it that there's a that you can be a 20 year old young man and have that kind of faith Mm -hmm. I think that's it's just a test to the power of the God of the Bible that he is real, that when he gets hold of your life and you know that he's real, that you have no fear of sharing that gospel mm-hmm. even when you're twenty. And Micah stood to lose everything. Mm-hmm. He had a scholarship at BYU. He was an astrophysics major. Mm-hmm. He would have he might have lost the love his family. He might have lost his fiance, you know, not totally knowing where that was going to end. He might have lost a place to live if he left Utah. What was he going to do as a 20 year old kid with, you know, no training, no college education. But he believed in this Bible so strongly that he knew that this god would catch him. He said it was like standing at the edge of a diving board and just, you know, either the god's real and he'll catch me or he's not.
0: Mhm. And he when you mentioned the family, he was scared that even you are could possibly shun him, right?
1: Quite possibly, but Praise God, he had kind of softened our hearts with these questions that were going on, right? The Mm -hmm. things like racism and the things like polygamy. We weren't completely ready to leave the Mormon church, but we were at least open to finding out why Micah had made this stand and what it was that he seemed to know that we didn't know.
0: And for a while, he was awfully secretive. About what happened, but you had no changes such as when he would write or speak, he'd say things like "Heavenly Father" instead.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm not sure he was secretive on purpose. the The thing is, he's only allowed to email his family once a week, and mm. we can email him back. And those emails are monitored. It's mm. actually on a server that the Mormon Church has. Mm. So. That mission leader is constantly keeping track of his missionaries. Mm -hmm. So if Micah would have been too blatantly open, like, Mom, I'm totally questioning my faith. I don't know what, you know, because he didn't know where it was going to end, I think. Mm -hmm. And so we were getting hints. My husband starts saying, he doesn't sound like Micah. He sounds like the Apostle Paul. Mm -hmm. In fact, when he got in trouble and he was standing... Um, kind of in that inquisition with his mission president, he said, the mission president finally said to him, you sound just like a Baptist. And
3: mm-hmm. he said, I
1: had no idea what that meant, and I thought it was supposed to be a slam, but, you know, it was what it was.
0: Uh, I'm guessing he might have taken it as a compliment even.
1: <laughs> now he's all good with that, Yeah. <laughs>
0: Now, when you're talking about how he was uh, controlled entirely, would that have included even when he was emailing Alicia?
1: Yes. Well, my guess is they probably hand wrote letters in order to not be um, on the radar.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm also thinking that he's uh, said that this has happened because he met some pastors who were able to defend biblical Christianity. And I, you know, I just think, pastor this is why it is so essential that you have some basic training, at least in Christian apologetics.
1: Yes, the verses that hmm. the one pastor pulled out that Micah says impacted him tremendously was Ephesians 2:8:9 saved by grace, not by words, hmm. lest any man should boast. What? You know, Mormonism is a works-based faith, mm-hmm. and yet, if you would have said that to me when I was a Mormon, I probably would have said, No, we're not. We're saved by grace. The Book of Mormon says, in uh, I think it's... 2 Nephi
0: 23? Nephi
1: right? Yep. <laughs> that you're saved by grace after all you can do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, and, and our prophet was very clear, and the uh, apostles and whoever talked about that, very clear that that meant you had to do all you could do, and then you had to endure doing all that you could do till the end of your life, and only then would you know if God's grace would kick in and do the rest. So that's the way Mormons look at it. You're on a durable wheel. You're just constantly working, 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 doing good works, but but those works are useless. I mean, even the Bible says that any works that you try to do to get yourself saved are filthy rags, mm-hmm. But but the works I did in Mormonism, I did 20 years of genealogy. I'm sure you know that Ancestry.com is connected with the Mormon church. In fact,
3: CNN,
1: just about two weeks ago, Ancestry.com came in and researched um, a lot of the anchors' past history and family, and then they would do this whole segment on it. Um, Ancestry.com has gotten huge because people are interested in their family history. Well, the the Mormon Church uses that to gather the names of people that are dead, and then good Mormons like me would take the name of someone who is dead and go to the temple and do temple work for them. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of useless works I was involved in doing. First I did the genealogy and I found the names of people who were dead. Then I would one by one take those names. I can only take female names. My husband has to take the male names. Probably takes three or four hours in the temple to get through all the ordinances you'd have to do to save one person. Mormonism actually believes you can be saved after you're dead, but only if someone goes through baptism, getting the priesthood for you. Um, washings and ordinances and you have to know all the right handshakes by the way the signs and the tokens from the Mormon temple which are secrets come right from masonry Joseph Smith was a mason
0: Mm -hmm. now at this point in the show since we're around the halfway point normally I make a little announcement about who's going to be on the show next week but I've asked you if you'd do that for this week, because I think you know pretty well who's going to be on the show next week, don't you?
1: You're going to love it. Micah Wilder will be on the show next week, and he now has a ministry called Adams Road Ministry.
3: hmm
1: Now, I guess we're getting a little um, ahead of that story, but there are other people in the ministry that will be with him, and some of those are also related to me.
0: hmm and for the first time the show, we're going to have musical interludes going on because it's a band, and they're going to be playing some of their songs.
1: They are a Christian band, but actually if you go to see them, it's mostly testimony. Mm-hmm. Michael will tell what happened to him, how he came to know the biblical Jesus, what scriptures impacted him. Then they sing a song, they do all original music, and mostly what they do is take the word and put it to music. And then um, another person will tell their testimony, and then you'll hear music, and then testimony and music. And these guys know the word inside and out. They are so grateful to be out of a workspace system and into the arms of grace.
0: And every member at sings and band they're ex-Mormons, right?
1: Absolutely, they all are.
0: Okay, so let's get on further to that point now. As as we know from the book, when Micah gave you the news, you were just frailty immediately, and you and your husband packed up and said, that's it, we're done, and we're moving on, (laughs) right?
1: No, because Micah said that we needed to read the Bible. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: But there's a problem with that for Mormons. I didn't trust the Bible. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: This is one of the most insidious things that Mormonism does is cause all of those 15 million people who are in Mormonism not to trust the Bible. They trust the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, Mm -hmm. and the Doctrine and Covenants above the Bible, I Mm -hmm. Because this is the Mormon 8th article of faith. It says, we believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly.
3: Mm -hmm. Oh, wait a minute.
1: That means... The Bible isn't always translated correctly. So they used to tell us, well, one monk would copy it, and then they'd make a mistake, and the next month, would, monk would copy it, and he'd make another mistake, and then somebody, and down through the ages, it has all kinds of, of errors. And now I have to laugh because that's the same argument I hear from atheists. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yet Mormons claim to be Christians, um, but they, but I didn't trust the Bible. So, I want you to hear some of these other things. This is what Joseph Smith said about the Bible. I believe the Bible, as it read when it came from the pen of the original writers, but ignorant translators, careless transcribers, or designing and corrupt priests have committed many errors. There you go. And then this is also where, from the where?
0: Where did he say that first one at?
1: Um, I think these are both from the teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. Okay. And here's the second one. There are many things in the Bible which do not, as they now stand, accord with the revelations of the Holy Ghost to me.
3: hmm
1: In other words, what the Holy Ghost is telling me is not what's in the Bible. So, it's what's in the Bible that's the problem. It's not what the Holy Ghost is telling me. mm mm-hmm. Now, here is something that Christians probably would be interested in knowing. This is from the Book of Mormon, 1 Nephi 13, 26 through 29. And it's talking about the Bible. This is the Book of Mormon talking about the Bible.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Wherefore thou seest that after the book, talking about the Bible, had gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so the Bible went forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, which they interpret that to be the Catholic church, right? And then Mm -hmm. the Protestant church, because the Protestant church is an offshoot of the Catholic church, Mm -hmm. that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the Bible. And then it says this. Because of these things which are taken out of the book, an exceedingly great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that Satan has great power over them. Right there in Mormon Scripture, it's saying that if you follow the Bible, Satan has great power over you because mm-hmm. many plain and precious things have been taken away from the Bible.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, if uh, someone's wanting more information on this, we could do a whole show on this. In fact, we have done a whole show on it. That's with Daniel Wallace talking about textual criticism. And even a week after that, we had Craig Blomberg coming on with his book, Can We Still Believe the Bible? I'd recommend both of those. But you eventually did start reading the New Testament on its own. And dare I say it, but without Mormon scriptures...
1: I did Mike and I agreed to read the Bible. Micah went back to Florida where he had a job and left all of us kind of stunned. Mm-hmm. Um, the church tried to excommunicate Micah. We did not take him in for the church court and got him out of Utah. Mm-hmm. So he went to Florida, we're back in Utah, Mike and I were sitting up at night in bed and we read, began to read the New Testament for one reason only, because we loved our son and we wanted to figure out what it was he seemed to know from Mm -hmm. this Bible and he challenged us to read the Bible as a child with no preconceived notions. This is the exact challenge one of those pastors had given Micah. So when I hit Matthew 24, 35, it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I went, you mean God is able to keep the Bible together? Now that's the exact opposite of what Mormonism says. Mormonism says it's not trustworthy, but the Bible it says itself says it's trustworthy. And I eventually found out the Bible, you know, supports itself something like 3,800 times from mm-hmm. beginning to end. This, this verse also impacted me, Isaiah 55, 11. Mm-hmm. So is my word that goes out from my mouth that will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So I'm beginning to think, God's words are in the Bible, it's the word, and it's so powerful that he can send it out, and it does stuff. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool.
0: Now, it also, to be fair, it wasn't just you and your husband. It was pretty much your whole family doing this, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, Micah had secretly called his little sister, Katie, while he was still on his mission, with a quick five-minute phone call challenging her to read the Bible, and that her testimony should be based on Jesus and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And she began to read quietly. I don't think we even knew that she was reading. That was in January. We began to read in February. In the summer, we all stepped out into a Protestant church for the first time. But guess what? I'm in this Alpine, Utah, There's Still, not one Christian church, 9,000 people in Alpine, Utah, no Christian churches, only Mormon churches. Mm -hmm. Mike and I got in the car about June one Saturday night and drove two hours away to go try to hear a pastor at a Protestant church because we were afraid of being found out. Mm -hmm. Now, If my neighbors or if anybody at BYU would have known, right, again, Mm. I would have lost my temple recommend, and I'd have lost my job. And Mike was just paranoid about my losing my job. In fact, eventually, after I came to Jesus, I stopped paying tithing to the Mormon church, but I was still going to work at BYU every day.
3: Mm. And one
1: of the things you have to do to keep your temple recommend is pay tithing to the Mormon church. Mm. Mike was so paranoid I'd be found out that he went in and paid my tithing and his tithing Mm. kind of a cover-up for that problem. Mm It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that you have to pay a tenth of your income to the Mormon Church. You can't send it to World Vision. It can't go to Ebola or Africa or South America or to homeless shelters. It has to go directly to the Mormon Church for tithing. Um, in the late 1990s, a news reporter investigated and figured that the Mormon Church was bringing in at least five billion in tithing annually, um, and that probably they were worth at the time 25 to 30 billion at least.
0: I have heard it's one of the richest organizations in the world.
1: Well, I'm here in Florida, they own more private the Mormon Church owns more private land in Florida than any other entity. They bought up land around Disney. They bought up land around Campus Crusade for Christ, the crew headquarters. They bought up all the land around them. They have 44,000 head of cattle down here and the Mormon Church owns for-profit and non-for-profit businesses as well, which always confuses me, because I thought churches were supposed to be non profit
0: mm-hmm. Now, also, what I was wondering, Alicia did come out of a Mormon Church also, didn't she?
1: She did, and she had a tough time. Her parents really had a hard time accepting that, and... Um, we do suspect that they sent someone down to kidnap her at one point. Micah and Alicia had secretly gotten married after he got off his mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when this man came inquiring about Alicia they uh, let the man know that he, that Alicia and Micah were married and then he left. But mm-hmm. um about the same time, a, an LDS father and mother had kidnapped their daughter and taken her across state lines into Colorado so that she wouldn't marry the guy that the parents didn't agree with. Mm. Mormonism is, is very interesting. The parents are, they have a, lo- a lot of patriarchal, matriarchal power, even over adult children, I would say.
0: Mm. So, so, what was it then it that eventually got you to the, the biblical Jesus?
1: <laughs> well, when I started reading the Word, I was just enamored. You know, I'm reading about this Jesus. It was as if I didn't know this Jesus. I'm Which was true at back. the time. <laughs> what?
0: Which was true at the time.
1: It was true. I was just fascinated by this guy. I remember hitting... John 6.44 that says no one comes to Jesus unless the Father who sent him draws you, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, I think I must be being drawn to Jesus because I can't get enough. And my husband tells this funny story about how he says, I sat in bed all day long um, eating bonbons and reading the Word of God. You know, I used to love to get up and go to BYU and, and yet, when I began to get in the Word, I did not want to go to work, I didn't want to eat, I didn't want to sleep, I didn't want to do anything but learn about this God. I was just hungry. That whole, that whole word, hunger, certainly describes what happened to me, and it just became accelerated, accelerated. And as you're washed, your mind becomes washed with the Word of God. You learn what's true and what's lies, and then there's this sorting and pitching that goes on. Mm-hmm. And so all things really do become new, mm-hmm. you know. My value system changed. The, the Book of Mormon had taught me that if I was righteous, if I did all these right things, then I would be blessed. But I'm reading in the Bible that I'm gonna have trials and persecutions and people will hate me for the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. and I'm going, wait a minute, that's not the same gospel, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. This
1: verse, though, really impacted me. Acts 17:24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Mm-hmm. Nick, I had worked in the Chicago Temple for 10 years. Mike had worked there. I had done 20 years of genealogy so that I had work to do in the temple. And it began to dawn on me that all that work might have been wasted. Mm -hmm. That was huge.
0: Yeah. Your husband, when I remember Brooke, he was probably the most reluctant to abandon Mormonism.
1: <laughs> well, you know, men have it pretty well since Mormonism. If you're a priesthood holder, you have this authority. Mm. you know that in Mormonism, uh, they believe that after you die and you're being resurrected, it's not Jesus who resurrects you, it's your priesthood line of authority. Wow. So for me as the wife, Mike would be resurrecting me, and I would have to know the right tokens and handshakes to give him that you learn in the temple right out of masonry. Mm -hmm. He doesn't get resurrected by his dad. He gets resurrected by his priesthood um, authority above him. And so it's a very hierarchical system. In the temple, there's this great place where Adam gets driven out of the garden and Adam builds an altar and he begins to pray to God and the next scene you see God the Father who in Mormonism has a body of flesh and bone can't be, he's not spirit so he can't be all places at once right?
0: Mm-hmm. right.
1: Adam's praying and then the next scene is you see God up in heaven and God did not hear Adam it took me a while to figure this out. God didn't hear Adam. But he's calling to Jesus, and he says, here's this hierarchical priesthood. He says to Jesus, you know, would you go down to the earth and check on the man Adam and see how he's doing? So then Jesus walks over to Peter, James, and John, and he says to them, go down to the earth that we have created, that I created, and um, it was actually Michael, the archangel Michael, supposedly, and Jesus that created the earth. Mm. Oh, and that's a whole other story. There is no ex nihilo creation in Mormonism. But so Peter, James, and John go down to text on the man, Adam. Oh, they find Satan there trying to lead Adam astray. So Peter, James, and John go tell Jesus. Jesus go tell, goes and tells God. God did not know that. You know, and after a while, I'm in the temple going, what do you mean God doesn't know that? You mean I'm praying to a God where somebody has to take the message to somebody else, to somebody else, to somebody else, until it gets up to God? Mm -hmm. There's no way my little concerns are going to be any concern of his. Mm -hmm. So when I read in the New Testament that God was a spirit, that he didn't have to eat or sleep, that he was always at his work, that he could answer my prayer day or night, that he was personal, I freaked. I mean, that was good news to me.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, how about your husband? What did get him out?
1: was actually he had always believed although Mormons stopped practicing polygamy it says in one of their scriptures Doctrine and Covenants 132 that polygamy is an eternal principle and it will be practiced in the next life and even today some men are sealed to more than one woman in the Mormon temple and then they will have them in the next life Now, they're never sealed to two living women. One woman would have to die, then they'd be sealed to another one. But Mormons do believe, similar to Islam, that there is belief in heaven because they believe there has to be a heavenly father and several heavenly mothers, and they have spirit children together, and those spirit children, people, and earth. And of course, a Mormon man can work his way to godhood, so he's going to have his own earth, but you have to have enough women to have enough spirit babies Mm. to people your earth. So, it's very bizarre doctrine and very not Christian. (laughs) What Mike was concerned about was whether polygamy was actually true, so he decided to test it in the Bible, and he went back to Genesis and began reading about Abraham and Sarah, and it says in the Doctrine and Covenants that God told Abraham to take Hagar as a second wife. And Mike went back and read it, and the Bible does not say that. Mm -hmm. It says that it was Sarah's idea Never Abraham's idea, and it did not come from God. In fact, God was so not pleased with it, you know, even Mm -hmm. though Hagar's son was the oldest, he was not the son of the promise. Mm -hmm. And so all of that began to dawn on him that polygamy was not a big biblical principle and that God wasn't even pleased with it. Mm -hmm. So then he had to make a choice. You know, if Joseph Smith teaches it and it's a lie, then he must be a lie, too. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, at this point, I can remind everyone that everything we do on this show is listener-supported by listeners just like you. And if you want to support us, we sure would appreciate it, and we sure do need it. So you can go to deeperwaters.wordpress.com. And there's a donate button there. Now, when you click that button, it'll take you to Risen Jesus. Okay, am I going to the right place? Yes, you've gone to the right place. You can make a donation from there. And if you want to become a monthly donor, that'd be even better. But you make that donation. Then you contact me or you contact Debbie at Risen Jesus. And say, hey, I made a donation. I made it to Nick Peters. I made it to Deeper Waters. Can you make sure he gets it? We're going to make sure we get it. And it will be tax-deductible. Now, uh, the, some other ways you can donate. I've got some ebooks that you can buy on the Internet. The latest one is about defining inerrancy. And I've been saying, I'm not exactly sure what's going to come out, but there is one coming out soon on God and Natural Disasters, where I have a dialogue with an atheist. And my plan is next month after that to have one out on the Apostles' Creed. And if you buy any of those, proceeds will go to me as well. Of course, the one that I wrote with the atheist, he's going to get half of the proceeds. But still you'll be supporting me to some extent there, so you can do that. Or you can go to the Amazon store from my blog page and purchase books that I've got there. Many of them you can read about on the show and some of the proceeds will go to Deeper Waters again. And I'd like to encourage you all to be praying for me this upcoming week. On Thursday, I'm actually going to be having a debate on my friend Julian Charles's show, The Mind We Knew, out of the UK. I'm going to be having a debate with Ken Humphreys, who runs the website JesusNeverExisted.com, which kind of tells you what I'm up against there. And yes, we're going to be having a debate for about an hour and a half long or so on whether Jesus existed. So it's going to be an interesting debate, I'm sure. Now, Lynn, do you have any calls that you'd like people to donate or support?
1: Our website is unveilingmormonism.com, and you can donate there. My husband and I travel... Um, we were on a six-month book tour last year, speaking at about five churches a week. Mm-hmm. Um, we tell the differences between Workspace Faith and Grace,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, happy to have your donations.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's also talk a little bit about another cause I can donate to, since we mentioned, how about Adams Road? Because everything they do, they give away everything for free, don't they?
1: They do, and Mike and I do as well, at least to Mormons who are questioning that contact us. Um, You know, I said there's a lot of shunning that goes on. So when folks come to Jesus, they are our family, and we keep telling them this is a much bigger family of God than your own little personal Mormon family with your own planet in the next life.
0: So if someone wants to donate to Adams Road, though, how can they do that?
1: Mm -hmm. adamsroadministry.com and unveilingmormonism.com we work together
0: now before we start going this break we were talking about polygamy Um, now how did it all begin with Joseph Smith my understanding is he apparently was caught having an affair with someone else by his wife and then all of a sudden he got a revelation is that accurate?
1: Yes, I would say that Um, the Mormon Church was formed in 1830, and we know as early as 1831, he had taken at least one other wife. Mm -hmm. Um, He eventually had somewhere between 33 and 48 documented other wives The real issue for my husband was finding out that Joseph Smith was taking other men's wives and then sending those men on missions Mm. and sleeping with other men's wives. Certainly not um, a practice that God would approve of.
0: (laughs) It wasn't even the case where he married a mother and her daughter both.
1: Yes, yes, and the Bible has something to say about that, doesn't
0: it? Mm Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I'm sure you know, <clears throat> know the reference there when I, but isn't there a place in for doctrines and covenants where his wife, Emma, is told that if she denies Joseph Smith polygamy, she's going to be judged?
1: She's going to be damned, I think it says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's going to be destroyed. That, that's the exact word, yes. Mm-hmm. If she does not accept the doctrine of polygamy shall be destroyed, mm. saith the Lord. Is what it says.
0: Uh, do you have a reference for that right off, or?
1: Uh, that's Doctrine and Covenants. I'll have to, uh, let's see, D and C sixty four. Mm-hmm. It says, "Then she shall believe and administer unto him, or she shall be destroyed," saith the Lord.
0: Now, the doctrines and Covenants, that's one of those books also that the Mormon Church, the missionaries combined, they're not going to give you a copy of the doctrines and Covenants and say, oh, read this or explain everything.
1: No, but definitely ask for one. That would be really good to ask for one. Mm-hmm. Doctrine and Covenants is supposed to be a collection of revelations from Jesus himself, this would be the Mormon
3: Jesus,
1: mm-hmm. to Mormon prophets. Almost all of the revelations in there are directly to Joseph Smith. Um, then there's one that stopped the practice of polygamy, and then there's one in 1978 that stopped the practice of blacks not being allowed to hold the priesthood. Yeah.
0: Both of these uh, conveniently came about when the government started pressing in, right?
1: Oh, it's really amazing Um, Mormons went West, I really think, to start their own country. Mm. But the Mm. U.S. had made Utah territory, which was at the time a lot of the West, Mm. had annexed it, right? So they were actually under the U.S. government. Well, the U.S. government hated polygamy, and they knew that Mormons were practicing it. And Abraham Lincoln hated what what's also known as bigamy, worse than anything. So bad that even during the Civil War, he had Congress pass an anti-bigamy law that was federal. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: that the Mormons couldn't practice it. And he intended to go force them to not practice it. So so they kept applying for statehood, but he would not allow them to be part of the United States as long as they were practicing polygamy. Mm -hmm. So... um, President Grant in later years, in the 1880s then, after Lincoln died, put a lot of pressure on the Mormons, actually marched a militia out and threatened to take all of the Mormon assets, their temple and everything if they didn't stop practicing polygamy. Well, the church um, in 1890, all of a sudden, the prophet had a revelation. That was the end of polygamy. But, of course, there are all these men now that have five wives. What are they supposed to do with all their wives and kids? Mitt Romney's family was actually in this situation. Mm -hmm. And so his great-great-grandfather had to run to Mexico. So the Mormons then set up polygamy colonies in Canada and in Mexico, and that's what happened to uh, Mitt's ancestors.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, speaking of the political side, the Mormons have had a prophecy also about the Constitution hanging on a thread, haven't they?
1: Yes, it's called the White Horse Prophecy. I was well aware of it in Mormonism. This was prophesied supposedly to Joseph Smith, And the words go something like this, that the U.S. Constitution will hang by a thread and a Mormon elder will ride in as on a white horse and save it. Well, now that I know about the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation, that's kind of concerning to me. But if you listen to Glenn Beck, he uses this phrase quite a bit, and mm. it's directly from Joseph Smith, the idea that the U.S. Constitution will hang by a thread, and then someone who's Mormon will save it.
0: My wife and I were in a Christian bookstore Thursday you night know, looking around, and I, I have told her I'm very pleased that when we go in, she can pick up books that are nonsense just like I can. And unfortunately, we saw Glenn Beck's book. Or a biography at least about him in Vernon. She was saying, Why are Glenn Beck's books in there? He's Mormon. and I'm afraid most Christian bookstores probably don't know the difference.
1: Well Robbie Zacharias, you may you may know, has was just on Glenn's show, I think last Monday and then this next Monday he was going to be on there. Robbie's kind of Ravi's kind of struck up a relationship with the Mormon church. They've had him uh, preach actually in their tabernacle in Salt Lake a couple of times. When we first joined Mormonism, they did not want to use the word Christian. We did not say we were Christians. We were Mormons. We were kind of better than Christians because we had more of the truth, you know, but I don't know if it has to do with the election or what, but uh, the, the Mormon church did hire a PR firm in about 08. They've been doing this campaign called mm-hmm. I'm a Mormon, and part of that is is to try to get Christians to accept Mormons as Biblical Christians.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, there is the gentleman who is president of Fuller Seminary in Southern California for 20 years sometimes goes around with someone that I know from BYU, who used to be head of the religion department, and has what's called a conversation between a Mormon and a Christian, or a Mormon and an evangelical. And um, I'm really concerned that those are really whitewashing Mormonism Mm. and making it appear as if Mormons are in the body of Christ. Mm
3: -hmm. And yet
1: I think it's very clear if you're a Biblical Christian Mm -hmm. that their teachings are outside of the Bible, therefore outside of the body of Christ.
0: What would you say then about sometimes that we have seen work in a political sphere with uh, Mormons on social issues such as Mormons were very instrumental in helping Prop 8 pass in California, for instance.
1: Yeah, they got a lot of backlash from that. Um, There were marches around the temple and that kind of a thing. Um, I don't know, are you asking me what I think about holding hands across the aisle for for social reasons?
0: Yeah, that kind of thing.
1: Um, I personally think spiritual and religious issues take precedent over social issues. Mm-hmm. And I would not be thrilled for there to be a Mormon in a high political position because I believe that that influence might drive many unsuspecting Christians or other folks into Mormonism. And that, for me, is a huge concern. I there
0: was a member of Arizona, I think Larry King did. With- Joel Osteen, asking about uh, Mitt Romney, and said, what do you think, is he Christian? And I was watching this with a friend of mine when we were at SES and a church service there, and we heard Joel Osteen say, he's just as Christian as I am, to which someone behind us said, I can believe that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, um... I guess that's why God raises up ministries to help show the differences.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, th- this might be a good point to kind of point out some of those major differences. What do you think? Sure. Well, Mormonism has a different Godhead than Christianity, so you have to ask yourself: if you have a different God, is it the same faith? Right. Mm-hmm. So. Mormonism does not believe in the Trinity. They believe that the Trinity is a heresy.
0: Right.
1: So not three gods in one, but three separate gods, Mm -hmm. three gods who are one in purpose, which is what Mormonism says. Mm -hmm. Their God, the Father, is not a spirit. He has a body of flesh and bone, and he can't be all places at once. So that really limits him in a lot of ways. The Jesus is a different Jesus as well, and there are many points that I could actually go to for that, where we could compare the different Jesuses. Uh, let me see if I can find some of that
0: right in front of us. While you're looking that up, I can say this is directly relevant to what Paul was saying in Galatians 1 about another gospel being given, and in Second Corinthians about a different Jesus.
1: Yeah, I actually love those scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, here, here, here's Matthew 24. If anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christ and false, apostles, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So I always ask Christians, so false Christ who is it they're leading astray? And they, like, you know, Christians will say sometimes, um, I don't know, I guess the unbelievers. (laughs) And I'm thinking, no, it says in the Word the purpose of a false Christ is to take those who are believers and try to walk them down the right path. Mm -hmm. Take those 85% right out of Biblical Christianity, right, and put Mm them in a false Christ. The next part of that, particular scripture says See I've told you beforehand if they say to you look He is in the desert now. Wait a minute. Where is Salt Lake? That Salt Lake temple is right there at the edge of the desert. Look mm-hmm. he is in the desert Do not go out if they say look he is in the inner room Okay, the inner rooms That refers to the temple Right? Mm -hmm. There are only two groups on earth that I'm aware of that do temples, and one is the Jews, and one is the Mormons, and the Jews don't have a temple right now. Mm -hmm. But it says, if he says, look, he's in the inner room, do not believe it. Well, I've been in the Salt Lake Temple, and I've heard them tell me that Jesus Christ appeared right here, standing right in the air, right here. It would... Be in the inner room of a Mormon temple. So I have great concern um, because the Bible says one greater than the temple is here. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Bible is pretty clear about what is true and what is not true.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm reminded of a time we had a the Mormons come to us again when I was living in Charlotte, and we were talking, talking about temples. I said. Yeah, you know, if you look at the temporal is in the old testament, the old covenant system. Why are you all going to go back to the old covenant? We got the new covenant here.
1: I knew nothing about that in Mormonism. Hmm. I thought the purpose of the rules and the regulations so were so that I could follow it and get to heaven, right? Mhm. Absolutely. So yeah, we could talk a little more about false Christ if you want to do that. Um,
0: sure. When one thing about is that when we read the Old Testament, we read the names Yahweh and the names Elohim. Mormons make something very different about that, don't they?
1: They do. They say Elohim is the father and and Jehovah is the son mm. and they are two separate beings. By the way, while we're talking about the Godhead, the Father was not always a God. He was a man who worked his way to Godhood. Jesus was not always a God. He worked his way to Godhood. So when I hit John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wait a minute. If Jesus was God from the beginning, he kind of worked his way there. Wait a minute. There we go. There's another contradiction, you know, and over and over and over and over. And when I got to researching it, do you know that Joseph Smith actually changed John 1-1?
0: Okay. What do you have it say?
1: <laughs> Joseph Smith, you know, because some things were mistranslated in the Bible, he actually went through it and fixed what was wrong with it. Right. Now, think him great for that, huh? It's called the Joseph Smith Translation of the Bible. Now, the Mormons don't actually use it. They use the King James Version, but all of their King James, their King James Version footnotes down to the JST, which is the Joseph Smith Translation. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a scripture that uh, looks like it might not be right in the Bible, it takes you right to Joseph Smith's correction of that. So let me read how Joseph Smith corrected John 1-1. Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son, and the gospel was the Word, and the Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God.
0: That's a little bit different, you know? <laughs>
1: Not only did he change the first verse of chapter 1 of John, he changed the entire chapter 1 of John, which is the nature of God. So, the first question is, you know, if you don't have the same Godhood, do you have the same faith? If you don't believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God, do you have the same faith as biblical Christians? If you do not reverence the cross, do you have the same faith as Christians?
0: Now, this idea you're talking about, it's called eternal progression, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's called eternal progression. Mormons believe that not only do um, humans progress, godhood. Of course, women can't be gods, but they can be queens and priestesses to their husbands. Basically, women are consigned to eternal sex and babies in the next life. Um,
0: Sure, that, that gives them something to look forward to, doesn't it?
1: Oh, when I was Relief Society president, we had a lesson on polygamy about once a year, and the women did not like it, that they would just say, well, when the time comes, I'll understand it, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: by then, I'll be in a better place, and I'll understand it. Yeah. Well, I think it's First 1 Corinthians 1.18 that says, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, mm-hmm. but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God and of salvation, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Mormons actually believe that the atonement happened when Christ swept as if great drops of blood in the garden. That he took the sins on him when he was praying in the garden. And then all that happened at the cross was that he died so that all of us could be resurrected. Very different uh, doctrine in so many ways.
0: Going back to what I've said about living in Charlotte, we had a number of times Mormon missionaries came by, and one of them we are sure was doubting, and he got switched out on us very suddenly, which wasn't a shock to us. But one day we said we were going to just take the Mormons out to lunch. At our apartment, there was a little Jewish cafe a diner a restaurant that we could walk to. It was so close. It was about half a mile or so away. Now, when we had this arranged, one of the Mormons couldn't make it, and he had a replacement come by, and we came in, he saw our gaming systems, and he was thrilled at that point, and wanted to talk about games the whole time, and I swear when we're at lunch with these guys, we're not talking about Mormonism, we're not talking about Christianity, he's talking about games the whole time, pretty much. And so we're walking back, and this guy is going to my, my roommate then, and he's talking about video games still the whole time. And my roommate's very smart with this, and he notices the other guy isn't as interested in this. And so while we're walking back to he kind of moves the other guy a little bit away, and he's oblivious to what's going on. And I've got this other woman here walking with me the whole time, he's asking me questions like, why do you have crosses in your churches? And so I'm going to explain all about what the cross means. We keep saying to us, yeah, those those two probably got a really good talking to when they got back.
1: Yeah, that's probably why the one got transferred out. Because Mm -hmm. one thing you do find in Mormonism is people telling on other people. Mm -hmm. Because they're always concerned that you might lose your faith, you might lose your testimony. you know. But wow, just read the Bible, yeah. just read the Bible, and, and your uh, Mormon faith will go out the window, I promise you, and you will meet a Jesus so much bigger and more able to save.
0: In fact, we also, and you can say something about this experience also, we had a time where we were invited to go to the Mormon service where a member of a quorum of a 70 was speaking. Yeah. uh uh-huh. And... So we go where and I came with my Mormon books back and women was Bruce McConkie's Mormon Doctrine, which my roommate called the Skeptics Annotated Mormon Doctrine. And he and another mutual friend of ours each got to ask questions to this guy who was part of a quorum of the seventy and he was having a hard time answering and we found out later that there was a meeting He was asking, Who invited those people to come? <laughs>
1: Good for you. Mm. Like I said in Mormonism, you don't question. They consider that doubt, and Mm. faith means follow blindly. Mm. And and this is the Jesus that you follow. Mm. He was a spirit child of a heavenly father and heavenly mother. They have sex, and what's funny to me is they have bodies of flesh and bone, and yet the children that they produce are only spirit children. And those spirit children stay in this like holding tank until it's their turn to come to earth to get a physical body, which they need to do for eternal progression, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. This holding tank is called the pre-existence.
3: Mm.
1: Now, that was something I had to wrap my head around when I'm reading the Bible. Wait a minute, there's no pre-existence? Mm. God knew me before he formed me in the womb, but that doesn't mean that he wasn't looking at me physically as a spirit. He's just smart enough to know exactly who I am because, you know, he's in charge of all that.
2: The Jesus
1: of Mormonism is actually the brother of Lucifer and of Mm. you and of me. Mm. Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother had children for this earth. Jesus was the oldest. Lucifer was the second. They were allowed to present plans to save the people of the earth to the council of God. And Jesus' plan was accepted, Satan's plan was rejected, he and a third of the hosts of heaven fought, and they were cast down to the earth, and that's how they believed. The Jesus of Mormonism was not conceived by a virgin. Now, this is not scripture, but we were taught that Heavenly Father himself came down and impregnated Mary to produce Jesus. Mm -hmm. Of course, the atonement happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, but do you know that it says in John, after Christ prayed and Peter cut off the ear of the soldier, Christ actually says it is you know, the cup has not yet been taken. It is not finished. And so Mm. Christ himself makes it clear that the garden was not enough, you know. So that kind of refutes Mormonism right there, or at least that teaching. It was a partial atonement. Oh, Nick, this was huge for me. Do you know Mm. that it says in the Doctrine and Covenants there there are some unforgivable sins
3: Mm-hmm. And one
1: day I was pondering about that and it hit me. That means Christ's blood was not sufficient for all sin.
0: That's, in fact, in the Brigham Young's doctrine of blood atonement, isn't it?
1: Amen, yes.
0: And we could tell and a little bit then about the Mountain Meadows massacre with that?
1: Yes, yep, yep. Yeah, I don't usually like to go there because, again, that's not scripture. That's bizarre stuff that was taught at one point in history and is kind of gone, Mm. but it was part of their history. Um, For a long time in Utah, you could be, if you were on death row, you could be shot by a firing squad so that your own blood would be spilled. The Mm. idea that um, Brigham Young taught with blood atonement was that Jesus' blood doesn't cover all sins. If you do a sin really heinous, like murder, that you, your own blood has to be spilled if you have any hope of salvation.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Cross is not revered, and of course the Jesus of Mormonism teaches that you're saved by the laws and and ordinances of the Mormon gospel, not mm-hmm. by grace. Mm-hmm. Saved by grace after all you do, the laws and ordinances. And mm-hmm. then he, of course, worked his way from a man to a god. That is not the Jesus that I met in the Bible.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember my pastor intern, Rebecca, came <laughs> me talking to me about some Mormons that he saw, and... Uh, I showed him that passage in 2nd Nephi and it, it, it just stunned them and one thing I said was I tried to, I to tell them they should see what some of the church fathers had to say and find that they were teaching orthodoxy and I said no I wouldn't go without the church fathers because they would say that's when the church had already fallen to apostasy. Don't, don't go to the church fathers, just go to the New Testament.
1: Amen. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, you know, we speak now all over the body of Christ, and we hear some really interesting things that don't seem to us to be in the Bible, but um, that's why you have to know the Word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, you can go off in some strange directions. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the body of Christ is not healthy. I think the body of Christ is very healthy. We, um Just meet wonderful people who are in the Word, who know the Word. But there are also many folks who are not in the Word. And our message is, please, please know your Word Mm -hmm. so that you're not led astray.
0: How long was it you all were trapped in Mormonism?
1: 30 years. Mm -hmm. 30 years. And I remember at one point apologizing to Micah crying once I knew Mormonism wasn't true crying and saying I'm so sorry I felt like I wasted my life and my kids lives mm. and that I raised them in something that wasn't true and I I put all these rules on their heads you know and all this judgment along with rules comes it's so judgmental mm. and Micah turned to me and he said mom do you not realize that this is likely the plan of God from the beginning? If you had not gone into Mormonism, if you had not been there for 30 years, if you hadn't been in leadership positions, you wouldn't know the Mormon scripture like mm-hmm. you do. You wouldn't have had... Um, who would ever listen to you except you were a BYU professor, right? So. God is working with Mormons right now. Many, many, many are questioning their faith, and this is an opportunity for Christians to stand up and profess a God of grace so that these Mormons can rest from their own dead works.
0: Mm -hmm. There really is no foundation, I have to stress this again, and there's nothing that really replaces knowing your Bible and knowing it well even if you don't know the Mormon scriptures well, if you know your Bible well and you can defend your Bible well, you're prepared when the Mormons come by
1: I think um, something else we need to make sure that Christians know is that Mormons are going to use the same vocabulary as you, so you're going to make the assumption that it means the same thing so when they say, I'm saved by grace, you go, oh, they must be Christian. Ask them what grace means to them. Ask them what that means, they're saved by grace. Ask them who Jesus is to them. Mm-hmm. You know, ask them um, why they build temples, why you have to go to temples, why you have to have a temple recommend. Um, When you dig down and ask them about the faith, it won't take very long before Mm -hmm. a biblical Christian's going, oh, that's not Christian. Mm -hmm. But remember, they're going to use the exact... Same vocabulary they're going to use heaven they're going to use hell their mm. heaven and their hell is not the same as yours mm-hmm. their grace is not the same as yours there's no religious words there are no religious words that are the same that have the same meaning between Mormonism and Christianity second Timothy is another really good place that talks about false Christ Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil people and imposters will flourish. Really? Imposters will flourish? But we won't? (laughs) They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus, the right one. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong. And I think that's the crux of the matter right there. Imposters flourish, they deceive others, and they are themselves deceived. But the antidote to being deceived is knowing your word.
0: Well, then I think that's an excellent point to reach in our show because we've reached a point where we do have to be parting ways, unfortunately. It's been a great interview. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Do you have a a blog or a website, a place that people can go and find you if they want to know more?
1: We do Mm -hmm. unveilingmormonism.com. unveilingmormonism.com and look for the book, unveiling grace Mm -hmm. it the book came out last august and um, it sold out in two and a half days on amazon and had to go into a second printing selling really really well and it will help you get inside the head and the culture of folks in mormonism but it's also a wonderful salvation story of Mm -hmm. what god can do
0: Yeah, folks I've read the book it's one of those books that you don't really want to put down you're getting good apologetics and you're getting a good story in now Lynn, do you have any uh, final message you'd like to leave today from the Deep Waters audience?
1: I hope that folks will join us in prayer that folks who are leaving Mormonism will come to know that there's a powerful Jesus who can save and we pray that people would have the courage To share this Jesus with others regardless of the circumstances we are promised we will have trials and persecutions but they mature us and um, Jesus is worth it Um, we are not ashamed of the gospel
0: well it's been a fascinating interview I've enjoyed having you and I hope we'll see you again here sometime
1: Thank you so much, Nick. We'll have to stay in touch.
0: Yeah, And um, then uh, before I go, would you like to remind everyone also about who's going to be on the show next week?
1: <laughs> next week, you're going to be talking to Adams Road. Matt, Micah. Oh, they have a new member. Oh, you're going to love the story of the new member. This is a missionary who actually walked away from his Mormon mission and has recently joined their ministry.
3: Excellent. So Matt,
1: Micah, Joseph, and um, JT, I think it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how new he is. <laughs> I gave him a hug today.
0: Well, Anna, again, thank you for coming on in. And for now, I'm Nick Peters of the Deeper Waters Podcast. We'll see you next week with Adam's vote, And for now, I'm signing off.